1: And again, Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son and sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they would not come. Again, he sent other servants, saying, Tell those who are invited, See, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast." And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both good and bad. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to look at the guests, he saw there a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen.
2: Lord, as we come to your word, we ask that you'd speak to our hearts and inspire us to live like you, Jesus. In Christ's name, amen. Good morning, welcome. Uh, Great to have you with us. And um, as we were thinking about this Sunday and the readings we've just had, it struck me that... um, the church in the last 50 years have seen, has seen some incredible movements where people have responded and the church has increased. And, uh, you know, we had the era of evangelism where people responded very, very dramatically to Billy Graham and other evangelists' invitation to a very practical, intimate relationship with Jesus. Uh, through the Charismatic Movement, we saw people respond, to uh, the movement of the Holy Spirit in their lives and come into uh, a deepening of their faith. Through the uh, church growth movement, we saw churches reposition themselves to be sensitive to those who've never been to church. And um, in our current cultural moment, where people are exhausted from being persuaded of someone else's point of view, I believe we've entered into the era of hospitality. It's not that God doesn't move in the old ways. He does. He continues to call people to himself through messages that explain how you can know Jesus. The Spirit of God continues to fill people's hearts with a deep, intimate, heartfelt knowledge of the love that God has for them. And people still who have never been to church find communities where they belong. And yet what we find is hospitality in this day, is drawing people into community where the Lord is present. Why is that? Well, think about this for a moment. If you are preparing to host people and you plan to serve brisket, well, you have committed to a 12-hour, at least, (laughs) preparation process. So that in order for the person to come, by the time they've arrived and they're hosted at your table, You have spent hours preparing a place for them, and hopefully the brisket has turned out, unless you're a priest and you may be offering them a burnt offering, which, you know, is an excuse, but it's still not acceptable or pleasing in the Lord's sight. In the age of persuasive exhaustion, coming to someone's table where a place has been prepared for them means that you've already spoken volumes to them before you've even opened your mouth to start this small talk. And this is what our passages are about this morning. The the passages are about feasting. What is feasting? Feasting is not just eating. It's eating really well and having fun. It's a night that you hope never stops. And it's a night you hope you sleep through the night without the burden of indigestion. But in the kingdom of heaven, when Jesus returns and we see him face to face, I have it on good authority. There will be no indigestion. So let's turn to our passages, because the feasting is really about Jesus's kingdom, and it's a kingdom in which the real thing that we feast on um, is, is like food, but it's love, We feed on justice, on love, on truth, mercy, and holiness. And at the Lord's table, those things are unhindered. Last Sunday, as people came forward for prayer, um, we saw God's kingdom being poured out. We saw love being poured into the hearts of people being prayed for. We. Prayed prayers in some cases for people who had suffered injustice. Praying for God's justice to come in. We prayed God's truth in proclaiming that the sick and the suffering are not alone. That they would know they're part of a community that loves them. Mercy, Jesus' mercy filled hearts and the holiness of Jesus was not... um, contaminated by me or any of you, but the other way, his holiness came into our lives so that we were transformed even just a little bit into his likeness. And that's why our services are framed around a feast, a feast prepared for us in advance. Long before you were born, Jesus has been preparing this table for you with one expectation, that you would come and receive And so turn to your bulletins on whatever page it is. I somehow have lost mine, but never mind. And let's turn to Isaiah 25. And Isaiah 25, which is our first reading. Page three, thank you. Speaks of a feast. It speaks of a feast where something special will happen. In fact, Chris, could I have your bulletin? I don't, I need to stick to my text or I don't wanna lead these people astray. Thank you. So on the mountain of the Lord, and take note of these five. this one word that's repeated five times. On the mountain of the Lord of hosts will make for all people a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, top shelf, rich food full of marrow, aged wine well-refined, And he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all people, the veil that is spread over all nations. That's the third time we've had all. He will swallow up death forever, and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces, and the reproach of his people will take away from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. It will be said on that day, behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. It speaks of a feast that will bring total salvation when Jesus returns, but also a foretaste of it in the now as we wait for the not yet. It's a feast that promises that when we gather finally, face to face with God at his table, we don't have a seat reserved to us, you know, in the Canadian section or, you know, the Irish Catholic section or whatever, you know, but we have a seat saved for us at the place of honor. And the promise is total and complete salvation and it's for all. It's a bountiful answer to a world in pain. There he will swallow up death, he will defeat the power of death, and it's a promise that at a future time, God's people will no longer be subject to death, but will live forever. And then there's this little bit in verse eight, the reproach of his people will be removed. An interesting thing happens when you wait, and you're suffering. I think they're good-hearted. People will come along and try to offer you an answer as to why your prayer hasn't been answered. And I think the only theologically sound answer sometimes of these people is, don't make me hurt you. (laughs) Because it's unhelpful. We don't know why we wait. But we are stuck in this waiting period, and the promise is, for those of us who are waiting, a day will come when the wait will be over, where we will know and have an assurance that we have not been abandoned by God. So you may be here this morning, you're waiting, and you're waiting, and you're wait- you've been waiting. And the, the, the first thing to say to you about this feast is that there's a promise that sometime soon, though we don't know quite yet, the waiting will be over. Let's turn to our psalm, Well known, if you don't know it, This is a famous psalm, and it speaks of feasting. Look just with me in verse 5 briefly. At first glance, it's incredibly bizarre. You spread a table before me in the presence of those who trouble me. Um, To word a little bit more strongly, you spread a table before me in the presence of my enemies. It's a bit strange. Who would want to eat in the presence of their enemies? I wouldn't. Not that I have many. My goal is to have everyone like me. Um, But there you are. Um, But we have this language of, you have anointed my head with oil and my cup is running over. And what we see here is that there is language here that refers to the Lord's house. And it describes that the faithful person who has responded to the invitation to feast has become God's guest at a meal. And the enemies are powerless to prevent the enjoyment of God's generous hospitality. Goodness and mercy, steadfast love are the assurance of the faithful that God has showered his grace upon him. What was once reserved for the Levitical order of priests in the Old Testament is now available to all who come to the Lord's table. And it gets a little bit more interesting because when you dig in a little bit about what this means, you realize this was a song. So this isn't just something we read, which we do, but we also sing it and it has been put to song. But it's about an unhindered, remember the things that are unhindered at God's table, love, truth, mercy, justice, holiness, unhindered. It's about an unhindered access to God's presence in worship as the best of all gifts. And it speaks to a place of true delight and true safety. Because it's in worship when we pour out our hearts to God. I mean, I raise my hands in worship just because I'm trying to increase the surface area that God has, you know, to interact with me. I I, I tried doing this. You know, in England, i do this because that's kind of what the English do, but here it's like, Lord, all. And it's in worship, as we pour our hearts out to him, what does he do in return? He begins to pour out his heart into us. And then his love comes in. We suddenly have these ideas that maybe we could make a difference To something that we know is is wrong, we don't know how, but maybe we'll just start praying about it. I find myself strangely praying for a region of the world I never plan on visiting. I've been praying for Burkina Faso because I heard a news report a few weeks ago that a million children have not been able to go to school for eight years because of civil war, and that's just wrong. I have no plan to teach. I have gifts and they are not in the classroom. Those of you who are teachers who teach small children, may the Lord bless you. <laughs> I'm so thrilled you exist because it means I don't have to do it. <laughs> but I can pray that God who knows will bring about a change so that the fact that if you're a woman, a girl in Burkino Faso, you're two and a half times more likely to be excluded from school. Because in an act of injustice, they prioritize the boys are better at being educated than girls. It's wrong. Imagine, eight years, your child, or a child you know, has not gone to school. What kind of future does that country hold unless the Lord intervenes? I have no intention to go to Burkina Faso. I couldn't point it to you on a map. But for some reason, the Lord has me praying for it. How odd is that? It only makes sense if the Lord Jesus has a kingdom that he rolls out, and he is rolling out through his church, and that as we worship him, as we pour out the things that are on his heart, he pours out the things that are on his heart unto us. So there we are, kind of strange example, but that's, it's live. And it's the sense of the highest compliment, the highest gifting, the highest thing we can do, that when we feel threatened, that when we feel uh, challenged, that we're in the grip of suffering, Is that when we worship and we gather together and we worship together, He has something prepared for us. The highest compliment we received last week was from someone who said that this church is a safe place where I can be vulnerable. I've been going to church my whole life and I've never experienced that. That's God's doing. Together, Chris and I are probably some of the most clever people you will ever meet. (laughs) He's marginally more handsome than I am because he does the beard thing well. (laughs) But we're not that clever. We're not that good. You're not that good. As good as you are at welcoming. This is something that God does. And it's a sign that he has a feast. He has a feast for us. So let's come to the Difficult passage from Matthew's Gospel. and I think we're now on page four. This parable is about the coming of God's kingdom and in particular the arrival of the Messiah, the arrival of the bridegroom. And it's important to say, I have done weddings for 20 years. I've never had a bridegroom late. I've had brides arrive late. I've had preachers arrive late, but the groom is never late. And somehow Jesus is always right on time. Waiting is hellish, but he is always on time. So the arrival of Jesus. So Israel's leaders in Jesus' day and the many who followed them were like guests invited to a wedding. God's wedding party, the party he was throwing for his son, but they refused Galilee refused the party, he, they refused the party he was throwing for the, for the sun. Now, Jerusalem was refusing the invitation as well. And yet, God's plans for a great party were continuing the party that the world had been waiting for for so long. The Messiah is here, Jesus is here, and they didn't want to know. So they abused and killed the prophets that came before him, just as they were going to do to him. The good news, though, is that it wasn't, and it, w- it wasn't good news for the religious elite who were originally invited, but it was good news for everyone else. God sent out new messengers to the wrong parts of town to tell anyone and everyone to come to the party, and they came in droves, Matthew makes it pretty clear who they were. They were tax collectors, prostitutes, riffraff, lumberjacks. Well, we don't have lumberjacks. I threw that in for the Canadians in the crowd. Um, But invited, if they had lumberjacks in that day, they would have been there. Um, The riffraff, the nobodies, the blind, the lame, the people who thought they'd been forgotten because of their waiting. And the people who were told by the religious professionals that they were not, They did not qualify to be in God's presence. And they were thrilled. And they came and they filled the place. And you see the kingdom of Jesus is framed around hospitality, not entertaining. Entertaining is suddenly different. Entertaining is everything's right. Entertaining is what has earned Martha Stewart her many achievements including time as a guest of the federal uh, state penitentiary, but never mind. Um, But boy, does she know how to entertain, as do so many. But this is not entertaining. This is hospitality. This is a space of grace prepared for people to come in to simply receive. It's inviting us to a feast so that as the feast he has prepared for us, his love can reach us. And it's where his love, as it shapes us, refuses to let us stay as we are. And so as we say at St. Bart's, as we behold Jesus, we become like him. Little by little, love wants the best of the beloved. And so what happens as we respond to Jesus' invitation, we are transformed, we are healed, and we are changed. Thankfully, not all all at once, but it's a gradual process over the arc of our lives. And this is the point of the end of the story. Well, let's ask the difficult question Where did all these other guests get their wedding costume servants, their wedding costumes from? If the servants just herded them in, how did they have time to change their clothes? And why should this one man be thrown out because he didn't have the right thing to wear? The most powerful and the most spiritual prayer you can ever pray is help. Or another version is I believe, help me with my unbelief. That's the bar. And so the thought is, is that on one hand, to reject someone from the feast is the exact kind of social exclusion that the gospel rejects. Unless this is about the kingdom of Jesus. Unless this is about a place where the love of God, the justice of God, the truth, the mercy, and the holiness of God is meant to be unhindered for all to receive. If that's the case, then the clothes, the wedding garment you wear, is the most difficult one to put on. And if you do it right, it should feel like it tears you apart. Because that's what it did to Jesus on the cross. It's humility. It's a recognition that I need what's being offered at the feast. And if you can put on humility, you can have it all. But if you will not humble yourself, then, to quote C.S. Lewis, to so many, so many that come to Jesus will say, Lord, your will be done. Lord, your will be done in my life. But for those who resist, and for those who refuse, the Lord eventually has to say, okay, because of his respect for our ability to choose, he will say, your will be done. And that is a very uncomfortable thing. Especially when the contrast is, is that the feast has everything we could ever want or imagine just waiting for us. The kingdom of Jesus, the feast, what's offered on the feast, on the, the feast table of, the, of, of Jesus where we are offered a place of honor is a feast of love, a feast of justice where every wrong we've suffered is made right, where every lie that has been attributed to us or has been said to us is, is, is corrected, where we receive mercy, what we don't deserve, things that we, and where his holiness comes in and cleans us up in the areas that we would never want to share in public. The thoughts we have, the things we say when no one is looking. But if you don't want any of that, Jesus says, what does he say? He doesn't just chuck him out with an army of angels. The king comes and he says, friend, you have no place here. And even in the correction, the rebuke, there is an association of affection. So there we are, feasting. So, what are we to do? We're to come and receive. St. Bart's is a church where we encourage everyone to receive as much as they can. And in a moment, when we turn to Holy Communion, you'll be invited to receive. It's not an Anglican table. It's the Lord's table. And so, whatever denomination you've come from, you're invited to come and receive. A feast that has been prepared for you from before you were born. He planned this for you. So that as you come to the table, you would lay down your burdens, you would leave them at the table, and that you would receive, in place of those burdens, His presence. That would be food for the road. So that as you go about your week, you would take with him, with you, his love, his mercy, his presence. The promise that though you wait for a little while, he will be on time and he will be there for you. And all that is asked of you is to pray that prayer. Help. Do you need help today? I do. Do you need help? Can you put on humility? There's no hard ask ever at St. Bart's, except for at the end of the year, we need more money. (laughs) But unless my calendar's wrong, we're not there. So we're not going to try to persuade you. We're just gonna ask you to come and receive. And if you would like to receive from the Lord today, all you have to do is humble yourself under the hand of Almighty God, and he will lift you up. Cast all your burdens into him, for he cares for you. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for all that we have for all that you've given us. And as a community, we recognize, Jesus, that we need your help. And in this quiet moment, friends, I invite you to share, so that no one else can hear, an area where you need help. The Lord sees you. He has prepared a place for you here today to receive from him. So in the quiet of your heart, just make your request for help known to him, even now. Come Holy Spirit, would you move in this place? Thank you that you hear the hearts, the cry of our hearts. And you know what we need. You even know what we want. And you're interested in what we want. And you promise to meet all of our needs. And so as we continue in our service, even now, we ask that you would move in power. And you to speak to our hearts, in Christ's name, amen.